thanks again, as always, for listening. I appreciate anybody who listens to even one episode, and I appreciate everyone who's listened to so many. You keep me going. I'm so excited to share that now official on Patreon. You can find my Patreon page, become a member. It's patreon.com backslash chills at will podcast Peter Real. Again, that's patreon.com backslash chills at will podcast Peter Real. My name, of course, is P-E-T-E-R-R-I-E-H-L. Patreon.com backslash Chills at Will Podcast Peter Real. You can become a member today. The page is officially launched. There are three tiers of membership. Official patron membership tier is $3 a month. And with that, you'll get access to all interview episodes when they're published, mostly on Tuesdays with some published on Fridays. There are two to four interviews published each month. Lastly, you'll receive the monthly newsletter with reading recommendations, literary event calendar, and the Chills at Will podcast news, and you'll get a shout-out on a future episode. That is the official patron tier of membership for $3 a month. There's the $5 a month for the all-access patron. With the all-access patron membership, you'll have access to all new interview episodes. Each month, like I said, there are two to four interview episodes. You'll get access to those as well as a monthly bonus episode or two that is an interview or an exploration of themes through two or three texts. One example would be an episode that I did called Righteous and Justified Anger that was explored through the works by Langston Hughes and Ralph Ellison or The Power of Flashback was one episode which explored the endings of The Godfather Part 2 sleepers and that was then this is now with the all access patron membership you'll also receive a refrigerator magnet with the chills at will podcast logo and the monthly newsletter with reading recommendations literary event calendar and the chills at will podcast news you will get a shout out on a future episode too with the vip patron tier which is ten dollars a month you'll get access to all episodes a monthly newsletter with reading suggestions and a calendar of literary events and updates on the Chills at Will podcast, access to a monthly AMA, Ask Me Anything, and a t-shirt with the Chills at Will podcast logo. There are two to four monthly episodes and one or two bonus episodes, which are interviews or discussions of themes as seen through multiple texts. VIP patrons will also receive a special shout-out on a future episode. I encourage you to please join Patreon for the Chills at Will podcast. As I say all the time, this is truly a labor of love. This is truly a DIY operation. I started in April of 2020, and it has been an absolute pleasure. 99.999% fun. I've gone to interview people like Disha Filia, what? Matt Bell. Brandon Hobson, Luis Alberto Orrea, Jean Guerrero, Gustavo Arellano, Taylor Bias, Gabby Bates, Alice Elliott Dark, Nadia Owusu, and so, so, so many more. Did I say Jess Walter? Did I say Jeff Perlman? Ingrid Rojas Contreras, Jamil John Cochai, Morgan Talty, Sadie Shore Parks. 
Rachel Yoder, Vanessa Angelica Villarreal, Kirsten Chen, Sam Quinones, Ion Grillo, Raina Kelly, Zach Harper, Michael Torres, Tracy Cato Kirayama, S.J. Sindhu, Roberto Lovato, Todd Goldberg, Steph Cha, Noel Kassler, Reina Grande, James Tate Hill, Navdeep Dylan Singh, Nikisha Elise Williams, Mia St. John, Susan Muladi Daraj, Sarah Borjas, and the list goes on and on. Future episodes include conversations with Robert Jones Jr., with Allegra Hyde, with Justin Tinsley, Javier Zamora, Jose Antonio Vargas, Yasmin Ramirez, Kai Harris, Laura Worrell, so, so, so many cool people. Patreon.com backslash Chills at Will podcast Peter Real. What are you waiting for? See you over there. Hello, I am Pete Real, a high school English and Spanish teacher, an avid reader, and an aspiring writer. Thank you for listening to the Chills at Will podcast, in which we explore the visceral beauty of literature and its connection to our culture, our history, and ourselves. Welcome to episode 152 of the Chills of Will podcast. It's a pleasure today to be joined by Tommy Dean and a little bit about Tommy. Tommy Dean lives in Indiana with his wife and two children. He's the author of a flash fiction chapbook entitled Special Like the People on TV from Redbird Chapbooks. He is the editor at Fractured Lit. He has been previously published in The Bowl Magazine, The MacGuffin, The LaSalle Review, New World Writing, Pithead Chapel, and The New Flash Fiction Review. His story, You've Stopped, was chosen by Dan Chon. I just, I just saw on his Twitter that he tells us how to pronounce it. Dan Chon to be included in Best Microfiction 2019. It will also be included in Best Small Fiction 2019. His interviews have been previously published in New Flash Fiction Review, The Rumpus, Craft Literary, and The Town Crier, or The Puritan. Find him at Tommy Dean Ryder, capital T, capital D, capital W, at Tommy Dean Ryder on Twitter. Tommy, how are you today? Thanks for joining me. I'm good, Peter. How are you? Thank you so much for having me. Oh, it's a pleasure to have you. And I, I, I may have butchered that one, uh, the review, the the French name, L-A-S-C-A-U-S. Yeah, Lascau, I think. Lascau. Only because they have a uh, um, a way to, to say it on their website as well. Otherwise, I wouldn't okay. have any idea either. <laughs> okay. Appreciate you saying me. And, and all apologies to the Lascau review. I apologize. Um, as I said, thanks so much. It's an uh, honor to have you. Looking forward to talking writing and especially flash fiction. I'd love to know about growing up and what you were what you were reading, what you were writing, if anything, in those early days. Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, I could start off and tell you that I didn't actually start really writing until I was an undergrad. So okay. I'm not one of those like picked up a pen and wrote a whole bunch of stuff. 
I think I had to write a story in second grade uh, for a class and it was like a war between the Canadians and the Americans. <laughs> but, you know, it was like all of like, I don't know, six sentences or something. Uh-huh. But otherwise, yeah, I hadn't really wrote into undergrad. Um, but I've always been a huge, huge reader. Uh, we always had books around. We always went to garage sales to buy books. Mm. Um, so I started with a lot of like sports things at first because I was really into baseball and basketball. Thought, you know, like a lot of kids thought like that was where I was headed. So I read a ton of biographies like Hank Aaron, Cal Ripken, oh, yeah. um, Mickey Mantle. And then I moved on to like some of those Christopher Pike uh, books. Like I know what you did last summer kind of things. Like I was really into like that, like, YA horror-ish before YA was really a category Um, which then you know eventually uh, my dad was reading Stephen King and so I moved on to Stephen King John Grisham those really kind of heavy genre writers Um, it wasn't until undergrad that I really started reading more literary works Uh, Carver Updike um, Mm -hmm. there's this amazing story by Elizabeth Talent in the very first sudden fiction that really like even like in undergrad which was like in like 2004 2005 I was really struck by Flash at that point. Mm-hmm. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. Um, now, did you read um, um, the sports biographies? I mean, my brothers and I, we get, you know, whatever the library limit was, we get 12 of those or 10 of those. We read, yeah. probably read two while we were there. And then, you know, so how about Ron LaFleur? Did you read about Ron LaFleur? Do you remember him? No, uh, I, have, I have not. I remember he was the one, he was, uh, he played for the Tigers. And he okay. had like the great redemption story. I think he'd got some in trouble and with and criminal activities as a kid. And then, you know, got past. I always remember though. We have, you know, Jackie Robinson, Mickey Mantle. Right. Like all yeah. Those great ones. Barry Larkin. I don't know. I remember reading about Barry Larkin. Yeah. Barry Larkin from, yeah, the Cincinnati Reds, I think. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I wasn't like a huge, like, Cubs fan is what a lot of people are. White Sox, uh-huh. since we're from Indiana, we're really close to uh, Chicago. Yeah. Um, but I wasn't, you know, like a super fan of them. So I was just, anyone that I could get my hands on that I could kind of learn about their life. And I hadn't really thought about it till now, but I think I was already thinking about character in some ways. Mm. Um, Just because, you know, those were life stories and those were people overcoming obstacles to do, you know, this great thing that I was hoping to do. Um, And I'm here today, you know, I'm not pitching 98 (laughs) mile an hour fastballs or anything. Um, So it's a good thing that those books just kind of helped me, you know, move on to other more literary uh, pursuit. Oh man, characters, right? I mean, I'll never forget um, Branch Ricky. You know, of course, he's always involved in the Jackie Robinson story. One of his, uh, this is probably like turn of the century or like 1904, and he remembers walking in on one of his players, an African American player, like like tr- like saying like I wish I could take off my skin type of thing. You know, because oh, of the wow. horrible because of the horrible treatment. Because you know, yeah. of course, they're living in a different hotel. I remember I, I was think I always remember Jackie Robinson like in the book that I read about. Like at the end of his life, you know, he was struggling with diabetes and there was like a tribute night to him. I, I remember those, like you said, just character. I mean, obviously great athletes and you remember those things. Right. The, the character themselves, yeah. But yeah, there was more than just what they could do on the field, right? Yeah, sure. absolutely. This The story passed the sport. Um, uh-huh. Yeah, which I think I was probably pretty engaged in at that point um, right. as I was, yeah, kind of an early reader. Like, who are these people as people? Exactly. Did you get into, were you a Sports Illustrated fan? Yeah, especially Sports Illustrated for kids. Yes. Um, like you said, went to the library, got <laughs> whatever we could get. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I said, I grew up in a town of like 600, and then the library was a town of mm-hmm. 1,500. Um, so it was nice to be able to go and have access to all that kind of stuff. That you know, and this is pre-internet, right. um, 
all those kind of things to read. And um, yeah, I just, if I wasn't playing the sport, then I wanted to live the sport, you know, in some other way. And so Sports Illustrated, especially Sports Illustrated for kids was really good for that. Yeah. So how, how about your athletic pursuits? Were you, you, baseball was your main sport, it sounds like? Uh, basketball actually was my main All sport. Right. I played baseball until I, I was I about, you. yeah, there you go. <laughs> uh, a lot of, a lot of, uh, people probably wouldn't realize me as a basketball player now, you know, five, nine and, uh, not <laughs> obviously not very tall and, and it's hard to play anymore, but yeah, I love basketball for hours and hours. Yes. One of those kids that, you know, we would shovel off the court just so we could play for like 30 or 40 minutes on some winter day. Like I would never do that now. Like I hate going uh-huh. outside when it's cold, right? <laughs> yes. Um, but just that that pursuit of of something. Um, it's it, I think it's a good thing in a lot of ways. Like it kept you know it's out of trouble and all that kind of stuff. And like I said, it was pre-internet, so right. Um, so yeah, uh, as soon as I couldn't hit a curveball, I was done with baseball. Yeah. Um, so about fifteen, I was like, oh, this is it. That that yes. there's a dream gone. <laughs> yes. Just kind of a weird thing to be such a young age and be like, no, it's over. Uh, and basketball lasted you know just a little bit longer and then it was over too you know five nine small hands oh man so true yeah i i could hit any fastball give me any fastball but yeah curveball off speed i was just out what did they say put foot in the bucket stepping in the bucket yeah you know just thrown off oh man that's so true and i mean obviously i I, i'm i'm forgetting here of course from the hoosier state right i mean this this is the mecca of hoops i mean basketball is, is religion there no basketball yeah and i grew up that way for sure um just really really interested you know headed down to the park when i was seven and just you know kids obviously start a lot younger now than they used to but yeah at that point it was kind of a big deal um you know like nailing a hoop onto the uh, onto a tree until Uh, we got to the point where we could you know afford to get a hoop and get it cemented in um so yeah basketball all day every day kind of thing um (laughs) And so, yeah, and you know, I compare it to writing sometimes too, because I used to shoot a lot of free throws, right? Like you're just throwing it up over and over and over again, hoping to get better. Um, and I try to bring that to the the desk when I can too. Like I'm just shooting free throws, like just putting sentences down um, to get myself to, self something to work with. Yes. Nice. So we've been talking about writing the whole time. Oh, always. Yeah. Thing. Oh man, I love it. Redirect, re- but it's not really even a redirect. That's awesome. So, you know, throwing up those free throws. Exactly. What about like, the genre of, of shorts or, you know, short shorts. I don't know how outdated that term is and flash fiction. Like, yeah, yeah get I into think that. that's a good question. Um, so like I said, I was in undergrad in 2004 and we got, uh, I just decided to take a creative writing class on the whim. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'd always been a reader and I never really thought like, oh, I could do what they're doing for me or my brain. Right. Like they'd set it on fire with all these mm-hmm. stories and narratives and all that kind of stuff. And then I was just like, you know what? let's take a chance. Let's take a creative writing class. And uh, I just fell in love with it. Um, Of course, you know, we wrote longer stories, but I wasn't as good at maintaining longer stories. Um, I like to focus on like a one scene in a character's life. Like that's all they get. And if that's all they get, like, what can I get out of it kind of thing? And even when I first started writing, I think that I gravitated towards those kind of moments, which is, you know, more of what flash does. Not that it can't use summary or longer time frames but sure. i just worked really well in shorter time frames on the page so i did write some some really bad you know long fiction which everyone does you know yeah. they've kind of debunked that 10 10,000 hour thing but you do really had to put a lot of hours into writing until you realize that you know to write all your cliches out in a lot of ways like mm. just to kind of experience writing stuff that 
somebody else has already written, but you don't know it because you haven't written enough uh, right. yet to know that. Um, so that was a long-winded thing for yeah. your question, but we did get that first sudden fiction book as a text. Uh, I think it's from 86. I was reading okay. it in 2004. Um, there was some really good stuff in there. There's some stuff that feels like what short shorts were, which was really just like a short story written short, uh, where I think Flash, in a lot of ways, is its own kind of genre. I think it does kind of propagate its own kind of rules in some ways, that it's not always just a short story in miniature, um, okay. which we can get into yeah. uh, as we as we go along. So really, I think I started writing them in 2004, 2005. I graduated in 2006 from undergrad, I applied to MFA programs. My work was not good enough. I didn't get in. Completely fair. The longer stories were not good. I get it. Um, so then I just kept working on short stuff from there, really. Um, you know, I throw in some longer works, but my brain just works in, you know, a flash of a scene in a lot of ways. Um, and I can't tell you why. It's just <laughs> the way that that I see images or hear a voice, and then I just kind of take off and... Um, hope to finish in a thousand words or less hmm. wow um so you, you know you talk about like the the debunking of the ten thousand hour rule and all that like but how did you how did you get the time or where did you get the time in in honing your craft i mean were you did you do grad school did you have time to write were you like you know eight I to eventually five yeah guard with free time and like how no. write, you know? <laughs> yeah kind of in some ways like when i um i had a degree in uh, criminology and creative writing um okay. a lot of people were like oh you're gonna write crime books and like i just wasn't drawn to that at the point yeah um but it did work as like a social services kind of degree so i went and i was like a case manager and i was working with kids that were dealing with you know mental health issues at first and then people with developmental disabilities and so i could set my own schedule mm. um and i was kind of working around their schedules with you know meeting with uh the, the clients and those kind of things to make sure that they were getting the support that they needed but it left a lot of room like, oh, every once in a while, like I'd show up early. So I'd be scribbling in the car um, or like, oh, I have, you know, an hour and a half at home that I wouldn't normally have with a different kind of job. So in the early days, that's what I was doing. Uh, eventually, <laughs> after I got my MFA, uh, which was a low residency program, so I was doing it all at home anyway. Uh, I eventually went and got my license to be a special education teacher for middle school. And so then I was just really fitting any of my writing in from this block of like 3.30 to 4.30 when I was home, but my kids and my wife weren't home yet because they were right. at school. So it was just that one hour hmm. or I'd have like an hour in the morning. I'd get up before other people, not like crazy. Like some people get up at five in the morning and sure. it's amazing that they can do that. I would just try to wheedle in an hour here, wheedle in an hour there. And that's yeah. another reason I think that I'm drawn to flash. It's like I have the opportunity to finish a story hmm. in 30 minutes or an hour, or at least a draft, right? Like, right. you know, obviously those need to go back and be revised, but you have the potential instead of like, a short story could take weeks or months. Or I know that um, Lauren Groff once said that like, she'd write, you know, most of the story, but would have to wait a year or two to get the ending for something right. to just strike her. And I, and I feel that way too. Now, if I write anything longer, I'm almost always waiting for the ending to come. And so it can take months or years where Flash like, Honestly, at this point, like I can write a halfway decent draft in 30 minutes if everything's clicking, you know, in sure. that writing session. So wow. I think that's another reason I was drawn to Flash is just because I did have those very short windows to write. Yeah. In. Well, yeah. So 
how how would you differentiate flash from short short i mean short short i think is is an old-fashioned term maybe yeah in some ways i think it's, i think some writers still want to use short short mm -hmm. uh, some writers hate the word flash and i get that um mm -hmm. but it's just kind of what it's become mm -hmm. uh, for better or worse like it is an identifier and i do think that we knew sometimes need those labels uh to kind of help us under identify like what they are so lit mags are obviously learn looking for word counts mm -hmm. and so labels like flash or short short help i do think that a short short wants to be a short story um it using things that short stories would use that flash doesn't necessarily use which would be internal thought from the character it's really mm -hmm. hard to do that in flash uh, especially if you're trying to be really urgent and have a sense of velocity, which I think Flash needs short, short acting as short stories can still kind of linger and still kind of take a little while to get going where I think Flash takes off like a rocket in a lot of ways from that mm -hmm. opening line or opening paragraph. I feel like Flash almost always starts this like in the middle of the story. Like we're not waiting for the inciting yeah. incident where a short story is like, oh, I'm going to go and take the first paragraph and build to this inciting incident which is much similar to a novel right where like you get to show like the character was having a good life until this happened where flash is like oh my gosh the building is already burning down how are we going to get out yeah um and i think that short shorts also take the convention of like that freytag pyramid in a lot of ways like it does have a beginning middle end an inciting incident okay uh rising action falling action where flash i think our job sometimes is to like what can we cut can we cut the rising action? Oh, do we really need the falling action here? Do we did we get the punch of the climax and then we can just kind of end it and let the reader kind of imagine what happens in the white space after the ending? And I think that that's what Flash does when it's doing well. I think it is able to skip certain elements um, by putting more emphasis on other elements. Um, Flash doesn't really use a lot of dialogue very often either. Right. Um, but when it does, like that dialogue has to be like the best line that these characters would ever say in those kind of moments. Mm -hmm. uh, whereas short stories, I think, get away with a little less um, punchy dialogue in some ways. You know what I mean? Like you're yeah. you're going to linger in a in a thirty page story. You don't get to linger in five hundred words. Um, so I think that's some of the main differences. If that mm -hmm. makes sense, it does. It does. Um... You you for sure have some dynamic first lines. That's that's for sure. Oh, thank that, you. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, we'll highlight those in a little bit. I'd love for you to to talk about some of the I guess formative. I mean, maybe there's so many that it's too many to list, but some of the formative short shorts or flash pieces or, you know, punchy pieces that you really just, you know, maybe even teach or. Oh, uh, sure. That, that are just like classics of the forms. Yeah. That's a great question. Now I'm like on the spot to call <laughs> up names of things. Um, I mean, I can talk about writers or literary journals for sure uh -huh. that like are, I definitely go to like uh, smoke long in a lot of ways is the oldest and longest running flash magazine i think vestal review kind of claims that as well but okay uh, and, and they're a great magazine as well i've been published by them i have not been published by smoke long it is a <laughs> dream and a goal um just because so many great writers have, have published there and and i started reading stories there by dan sean Stuart mm -hmm. dieback uh kathy fish meg pocraft um these people that uh are kind of like the 
I don't want to say king and queens because like the royalty thing is kind of a weird <laughs> metaphor, but like they are the, the stalwart writers of what I would consider flash more than short short. Mm. Um, even Stuart Dieback in some ways, like it's always a question of like, is it flash? Is it not? And and I I interviewed him once, uh, and and he was very fluid with what he would consider the labels he's not concerned with it at all his writing is great no matter what you call it right Right, exactly yeah it doesn't matter yeah i don't want to think that i'm disparaging because you're right it doesn't matter it's it's Mm. fantastic it's musical it's beautiful you just sometimes like what would i label it i don't know i don't know that it matters Mm. um but sometimes it does matter i'm trying to think of specific stories i did mention that elizabeth talent story it's called uh no one's a mystery and it's just really good unfortunately it's about a guy that's having an affair with a younger girl and he gives her like a diary as a as a birthday gift, and like it just shows like the counterpointing uh, between their their ages and their maturity. Um, and they're in a car, and he kind of makes her get under the 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 wheel well while his wife passes him, and she thinks that she completely like understands what's happening, and she doesn't. But we as the reader kind of do, and mm. so it just kind of lets you in on a little secret of the story, and so like that just. Um, yeah, it's just really good. Uh, there's a story by Carver called Popular Mechanics, uh, which is a little okay. frightening, but it's about the the two couple the the couple that's fighting over the baby. Um, and there at the end, we have this like Solomon uh, thing that he had where the the women were gonna pull on the baby, and the one says, "No, no, no." Um, I don't want to give away that story, but that's pretty classic um, mm-hmm. short short flash kind of uh, material there. Um, there's so many so many writers. Yeah. I could name or list or stories. I'm sorry, I wasn't quite prepared for no, that no, no, question. No, no, no. no, no, no. I, I understand when I ask that question, it's like there's so many that you it freezes you because it's like, uh, you know. And I'm sure, yeah, as as we're done. You'll remember 30 of them. You know? I'll remember, yeah. Like I, yeah, but I do, yeah. What I mean, like maybe Carl has a story called Pine. Um, I think it's in flashback fiction. Um, it's a, it's about a, a slave, uh, and from his point of view, uh, and what he's trying to do to protect his family and it's just so well written um and it just it just breaks me every time um yeah uh sarah fraley has some amazing amazing micros and flash printing wit uh i could go on and on um and so many of them are are, are women writers too which i lo- absolutely mm-hmm. love it's amazing um they just take me to places um that's fresh and resonant and just stirs there's my soul i guess right right is that a beyonce line are you still no uh, i don't know maybe i mean i, I think that that's what, what flash should do though in a lot of ways like sometimes you get to the end of a short story and you're like oh kind of what did i read yeah. I, I generally don't get that feeling when i'm reading flash like it, mm. there's something that's working on me emotionally right. um i mean flash is a thing that you can read fast but it should have a lot of depth and when it does right yeah it huh. stirs stirs your soul <laughs> I, appreciate, <laughs> I appreciate those so I, I mean basically you know definitely from what you said i think that it probably wouldn't qualify i mean the whole my whole podcast is based on is based off of a lot of the ethic and a lot of it's based on a line from tobias wolf from bullet in the brain oh i love that story right yeah it's amazing uh it's <laughs> not quite flash right i think it's five pages it is so it's like what 1400 words instead it's exactly. like one of those tweeners which are really uh-huh. hard to publish now yes okay um but the the ending of that story the, the truth that he pulls off 
uh, with the bullet as he's kind of, you know, everything's flashing, right? Like mm-hmm. that's like flash in a lot right. of ways. Right, right, right. Um, is just amazing. And every time I read it or hear it read, um, when we get to that, like, and the character's great anyway, right? Like with his mouthy uh-huh. mouth to these yes. people. Is, is amazing anyway and the dramatic irony of like oh god please shut up please shut up oh you're not going to something bad's going to happen um but then like lots of writers just would have went to a blank screen after the bullet but like tobias wolf was like no 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 there's so much more we need to know in this moment and i'm gonna bend it and yeah. he just does and goes for it yeah uh, it's amazing yes wow yeah great description like you said yeah a lot of you know david chase from the sopranos he would have gone the black screen right right no i love the sopranos but um, but no, the so there's part of it, you know, like you said. So it's it's he he the narrator is talking about those things he remembers, but more importantly, those things he won't remember. Right, right. All the all the things that don't matter in the end, and one of them, you know, just being that he was so jaded and so cynical by the end, and right, and all that. And um, but there's a line about how he would have these lines that would provide thrills at will. You yeah, know, he could quote. I think Aeschylus. I think you pronounce it Aeschylus in, in the in the right. Greek. You know, and that's where yeah. I get the chills at will from this idea of you know those lines like they is they is they is at the end of the story that just reverberate in the head. You know. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, I yeah, that's a great way to to frame your podcast. I, and I I think that's what Flash does as well. Like for me, like every line is important. Uh, every word is important because you only get so many words anyway. Um, and but then you have this potential to just load these metaphors and load these lines. Yeah, no doubt about it. I think of uh, like Hemingway, his um, his when you know they've put together his short stories in different ways. But one of the collected short stories I have, and I'm a huge fan of Hemingway's short stories, I, way more than his novels. Mm-hmm. I don't know what you call them. They're like little interludes. Um, yeah, the right? ones that are. Uh, in Nick of Time or whatever the Nick stories are or whatever. Yeah, yeah the, the, the collection I have is, has all the different has the different collections together. So I'm not sure exactly even which ones. Are okay, from, but that makes sense to sure. be from the Nick Adams stories. Yeah, like there's one of them with it's I don't know, 80 words or 120 words right. or some, but it's like like it's so resonant and it's um it's about basically like the soldier I think in World War One and he's in the trenches and he's you know praying please God please God please God help me. If you help me, I'll do whatever you want me to do. He gets out. Everything's okay. And then the last line is something like, he never did, you know, right? he never did make it up to God. He never did, you know, and he never did. He forgot about it. I'm just like, oh, man. And we just needed a glimpse of that character's life to know everything that we needed to know about them from that moment. Uh, And that's what I think of when I'm writing Flash is, I have this character, I have this line or this situation, like, mm-hmm. this is all they get from me. I, I rarely go back to a character. So, like, what are we going to learn or what's going to be revealed about this character um, that we would only get from this this moment, this event? Right. Um, and I think he did do, yeah, he did some amazing stuff with a, a very short amount of words. I think that Flash, the Flash really relies on the reader as well. Like, you're almost working together because they, they need to make the inferences because you don't want to tell them. Mm-hmm everything because then they're taking out of the story and, and you don't have enough time to build and how um yeah flash really works with the reader because you have such a short space you can't really tell them things you need them to kind of work mm-hmm. with you uh to kind of figure things out to make inferences and judgment um whereas short stories like they do that as well but there are also parts where they clearly go inside the character's head and right. clearly tell you the feelings that they're having and it's a lot harder to do that with um flash fiction um just because it's not what the 
the genre necessarily demands. Right. That makes sense. The um, it's so short I can even read it from from Hemingway. It's quote, "Dear Jesus, please get me out. Christ, please, 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 Christ. If you only keep me from getting killed, I'll do anything you say. I believe I believe in you, and I'll tell everybody in the world that you are the only thing that matters. Please, please, dear Jesus." The shelling moved farther up the line. We went to work on the trench, and in the morning the sun came up, and the day was hot and muggy and cheerful and quiet. The next night back at Mestre, he did not tell the girl he went upstairs with at the Via Rosa about Jesus, and he never told anybody. Ooh. Wow. Yeah, exactly. Right? Yeah. We we know everything we need to know about this guy. We know everything on... we need to know his actions on the, the kind of prayer thing and then his actions or inaction in this regard. Exactly. Um, is, is great. I love when characters are faced with the opportunity to change and they mm-hmm. don't. Um, it really can create a lot of resonance in a lot of ways uh, right. because we get to see what they could have done in a lot of ways. The could have, right. The, the, yeah. That, that space in between what might've been and what is right. Yeah, absolutely. That's where Definitely. that's where literature lies. Yeah. Yes. The um, I love. I always I've tried to do it like this. I love how he how good he is with and where someone else might use commas. He yeah. says the day was hot and muggy and cheerful and quiet. Yeah, uh, I find myself wanting to do that quite a bit as well. Right. Like I don't want to break. I want to put it in the same sentence because it's a feeling that you're having all at once. It's a simultaneous, mm-hmm. and writing doesn't do simultaneous, right? It sure. it, it can't. Uh, it's a very linear, straight thing. Um, so he kind of uses that and to make you feel all those things kind of at once. Um, right. I even like to start sentences with and every once in a while, too, uh, just to kind of get the feeling of like, oh, you thought we left the thought back there, but mm-hmm. we didn't. We're kind of continuing it. But we did have a pause, um, just kind of a geeky grammar kind of thing to do, I guess. All the uh, first grade, third grade teachers are saying, do not start a sentence with and, right? Not and, not but, yeah. But I yes. love stories that start with a path in the white space that we don't necessarily get. Um, no doubt. I love using the word before or after in an opening as well. It gives this gravitas or weight to the things that we don't know. Like this has mm-hmm. been ongoing, um, yes, which I think is going to be a really cool. Yeah. No doubt. I'm so I'm so uh, disappointed in myself that I actually misquoted it. This this is a line from from uh, Bull in the Brain. Well, first of all, the paragraph where the chills at well line comes from, it's uh, the, the line is, it is worth noting what Anders, that's the, the protagonist, it is worth noting what Anders did not remember given what he did remember. I love that. Yeah. yeah. And farther down, it's, uh, he did not remember a single line of the hundreds of poems he had committed to memory in his youth so that he could give himself the shivers at will. Not silent upon a peak in Darien or my God, I heard this day or all my pretty ones. So it's shivers yeah. at will. Is exactly yeah. Right. I love that he includes just that little bit of the, the poetry too. Like, even if we don't know the poetry, right. Like we're, we're feeling like the, the things that are lost here, the narrator is allowing us to see like, yeah, what is being lost? No doubt about it. I, I mean, you talk about like the, the understatement and the lines that, you know, that don't tell us a lot and we fill in those gaps. And there's a lot of context, obviously for this one, but I always think of the line from, um, from Elie Wiesel's Night, you know, of course, the Holocaust memoir, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, and he he just he he just witnessed, I mean, absolute hell on earth. He'd witnessed people killing each other over a crust of bread, right? You know that people were throwing at them like they were animals, and you know he describes all of this and and this son, you know, accidentally or you know killing his own father, going after this bread, 
and then it's simply the line and it's even as his own paragraph it's i was fi- i was 16 yeah boom right yeah you it know, just which, puts into context how right. horrific right uh that is and it it puts it in context for the reader too who is probably for the first time reading it fairly young i would imagine mm-hmm. too i read it first when i was in sixth grade yeah um so it does seem to be used uh in some ways from that you know just at the beginning of middle school or junior high kind of thing to be like you know the the world is is not unfortunately as safe as maybe we've tried to portray it sure. and it's time for us or for the the kid that's reading it or any of that kind of stuff to realize that there are things that we need to be careful of and be on a look out for or history will repeat itself and we don't want that to happen i mean that's one of i mean literature is the shield against that right yes yes no doubt about it i, I love the way you put that for sure um your your teacher you're an editor yeah. So I, like I said, I was a middle school special education mm-hmm. teacher. I'm now uh, an editor full time for Fractured Lit and Uncharted Magazine. Um, and then I do some independent uh, teaching of flash fiction writing, uh, right. some asynchronous classes, some Zoom classes, however I can connect with other writers of flash. Yeah. Um, and so that's, yeah, I work from home and I do both of those things and I, and I edit as well. Um, and, and and I write and try to publish. Um, so I'm, you know, have it, that hasn't changed. Still getting lots of rejections and still trying to write new stories. Um, but then also, yeah, an editor and teacher as well. Well, using like the basketball metaphor, you know, like as a as a coach, as a former coach. Hopefully, I'm, I want to get back into when the kids are older. But um, coach right. and player, like you know, there's, you know, you could watch you could watch film all night, all day. You could you know, looking at tendencies and this and that. And I, I had a lot of fun with it, but it's also something that you know. Is for single men and men without kids, uh, or people <laughs> right. without kids. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, this is that this is idea of like maybe maybe losing some of the fun because you're you're you know just like some of the, I don't know, yeah, the fun of basketball because you're you're watching you're looking for the the granular things. I wonder if the same thing as an editor where you know looking over other people's work, which you know is, is great, and you see so many diamonds in the rough and so many great ones, but also if it kind of takes away from like just the joy of writing. Yeah, I, I think it could for sure. Um, I will say that being an editor has made my writing a thousand times better mm-hmm. just because you're seeing so many ways that people are trying to do different things and you, you really get to kind of calcify like what you think works and doesn't work mm-hmm. for better or worse. Like it's my own subjective opinion, but it is something that I bring back to my own work. If I'm like, oh, this didn't quite work somebody else in that story i would try something different maybe mm-hmm. um but a lot of that i think like basketball is is a feel and muscle memory in a right. lot of ways um but i will tell you like if i'm editing really heavy on a day the chance that i'm, I'm going to write my own work that day is slim because i'm i'm stuck in that editing brain and so therefore i don't let enough go i don't let enough get on the page before i start to edit mm-hmm. i'm a pretty editing type writer as it is um I will write, and if I get stopped on a word, I will wait until I find the word that I want. Um, nice. And that doesn't really mess me up too much in a lot of ways because I'm writing Flash. If I was writing longer work, and I think this is why I struggle with writing a novel. I, I've tried to ri- write a couple and have not gotten you know past page 110 usually mm. um, because I am so like micromanaging mm. the, the line. And I'm staying with the line, staying with the character. It's almost like uh, method acting in a lot of ways. I'm not an actor myself, but I try to think 
and filter through that character as much as possible. Mm -hmm. um, so then I can kind of edit on the page. But yeah, like I said, to get back to your regular question, um, there are days when you're just editing too much or you're reading too much of other people's work that you're just too critical to get back to that uh, kind of sense. joy on the page. And I like sure. to have fun and joy. And I love to figure out the mystery or the puzzle of the characters. And when I'm not feeling like that, then the writing doesn't usually go very well. And it usually means I'm too inside my editing brain. Mm. Um, so I do think it can kind of take away from that. When I was in undergrad and even in grad school, I, you know, some of my favorite writers were also teachers of creative writing. And I didn't understand why it took 10 years to write a novel, their next book. And now I get it you know, because they're giving so much of their creative energy in a lot of ways to the teaching. And I'm sure they love it just the way I do. Like I love breaking down stories. I love seeing how stories work uh, from sentence level to character level to other elements. It's just something I, I love. I don't know why it'd be easier not to, and just, just write my stuff and go back and revise. Um, but I really, that's what, one of the reasons I love teaching flash mm. as well. It's just because I love breaking down stories and showing other people what I found valuable in the stories and the ways that they can they can use that mm. um but it can be a hard thing to switch out of that brain of teacher editor yeah. um and so they I can go months like I don't write every day uh by any means nor do I think you have to be there's this whole thing of like you have to write every day to be a writer but like you're a writer like if you write you're a writer um mm -hmm. and so yeah I could go four or five months but it's all percolating um right. and I think that's one of the hardest things for me I've been writing, let's say, since 2005, right? It's, what, 17 years or so, if my math is right, is patience and being patient enough to allow myself to have those dips in inspiration and creativity and come back in hopes that, you know, once the next thing that you write is going to be great, and if it's not, you know, write something else. Uh, like I said, I don't get to get to the free throw line as much as I would like to, but <laughs> that's the way I like to think of it when I'm, when I'm in an actual free writing thing. It's just Here's another layup. Here's another yeah. uh, unguarded. Right. It's my practice kind of way. If it works out, like, great. But I am still struggling with the patience of that, for sure. There are days mm -hmm. when I just want to go out there and be Steph Curry and hit <laughs> half-court shots, right? Like, I want everything to go in. I want every line to be perfect. I want um, the plot to just sing for me. And sometimes it doesn't. Um, yeah. And you got you to gotta be willing to dig in for as long as you can and then and then back away and come back later the, in one of the interviews with, with megan giddings great writer herself yeah. you said um quote i write flash because brevity brings clarity for me and that makes sense from what you've said mm -hmm. um I think this was a different interview. You said the question might've been the same one. The question was, what's your writerly life jacket character or plot? And you yeah. picked, you picked choice C. You said, neither is time. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. Um, I, I think I might change in some ways. <laughs> uh, my life jacket, I think is, is usually character. Yeah. Um, it's usually, and I think you said something about my opening lines, which I thank you so much. Uh, I work, uh, really hard on opening lines but usually inside my head before they come to the page yeah if i get that opening line then i'm off for the races if i don't mm -hmm. get an opening line a lot of times that's what kind of stymies me from from completing a story and usually that character is involved i love putting character point of view 
setting and conflict all in the first sentence if I can. Um, mm. I challenge anyone that I teach to try to write Flash in that way too. It's not the only way to open a story. It's not the only way to write Flash. Right. But you give the reader so much to hang on to. Uh, and, and we're all we're all you know suffering from attention as it is, and we've got so many things that we could do or be doing. So to really mm. get them into the, the story and let them know that it's going to be worth their time, you got to get them intrigued and also grounded at the same time. And I think that's, um, you know, it's, it's difficult, but that's what I try to do. Yeah. You're talking about like, you know, some of those first lines and um, this one's really short, but it, it really packs a punch. And I'm just interested too, about how like your titles can bleed into the, I guess vice versa, maybe like the first line bleeds into the title of vice versa. It's, yeah. it's called you've stopped. And then the first line is you've stopped asking me to marry you. Yeah. I think, and I think finally I think, this is a good thing. Right. Yeah. So that story you stopped just kept repeating in my head over and over and over again until I had something to go with it. And like, I instantly made story and character from that opening. And I just got lucky that it reverberated enough to the point where I was like, Oh, this is it. And we're off. Um, what do we do with two people that have, you know, said this or have stopped saying this, like, where are they and all that kind of stuff. And that's one of my, um, one of my favorite stories. I actually shouldn't probably say this, but I wrote that in 30 minutes. Uh, and the only thing we changed is just a little bit at the end. Once I got it accepted by the, uh, the publisher Pithead Chapel, and then it went on to be in, you know, best small fictions and best micro, um, which was just a complete joy uh, for me, for a flash writer to be included in those anthologies uh that right. i just, you know even when i'm not in them it's just great i live for them uh, i'm so glad that our our form flash and micro mm. is getting uh represented out to the world in that way well yeah the uh, i won't i won't i won't uh spoil the ending then because um the ending is so good i wanted to share but um you, you talked earlier about like dialogue is not dialogue is i guess de-emphasized um a lot, a lot of times in Flash, if you just, uh, if you would just scan a whole bunch of Flash stories, you will see a lack of dialogue. Mm-hmm. Um, I think just because it's moving so quickly, uh, yeah. and you only get so much space to kind of reveal character. And to be honest, for a lot of writers, I think, and I don't want to talk for everyone, but dialogue is a hard thing to do. I love dialogue. It's one of my favorite things to write, but it is very difficult to do because you're trying to do so much with dialogue. It's not just, you know, character reveal, but it's also like character reveal. It's plot. It's, irony uh it's moving the story forward but it's also kind of hiding some of the characteristics from each other uh it's not real life dialogue by any means like it's the best of movie dialogue in some ways uh and that's one of my favorite things to do is like in a normal book or maybe even a movie there might be 10 lines of dialogue before the dialogue you get from my story but i'm only giving you that 11th line um and i have to somehow do that in my head and sometimes it works consciously sometimes it's subconsciously um i think i might have cut you off because i'm not quite sure what the question was going to be about dialogue but just the fact that like it is kind of rare in flash unless some people try to do all dialogue stories but that can kind of get murky because you mm-hmm. don't really have a sense of like where these people are when they're talking to each other um no you, you yeah, definitely went, went with my train of thought for sure maybe it seems like most if not all of of, of your work that i've read you you don't necessarily use quotation marks is that related to flash fiction or not necessarily uh, i think it's a little of both i mean obviously like cormac mccarthy i think is the most famous person of like not using dialogue mm-hmm. uh tags and i used to hate when <laughs> writers mm-hmm. wouldn't use them either but i think mm-hmm. in a longer work it is more bothersome not to but in a shorter work 
it's almost creating an atmosphere of a crucible or of a squishing in, right? Oh, like you okay. want the reader to be so sucked in to the language. I think it's also part of like, it's a blending of narrator and character in some ways. I think it works on that level as well, where you're like, is it from the narrator? Is it from the character? It doesn't matter because they're so close together. At least that's mm -hmm. the way I try to write it uh, when I write dialogue, especially dialogue without tags. Or it's just like, it keeps me in the story. Every time I have to go and put quotation marks, I'm now thinking about the actual mechanics of the writing in some ways. Um, some of this, I'm just, it's just kind of coming off the top of my head now. It's a yeah. feel. It's a complete feel thing for me uh -huh. when I'm in the middle of the story, whether it's getting quotation marks or whether it's not. And a lot of it has to do with clarity for the, the reader, but also like, what do I want them to feel as they're reading this story? I kind of want them to feel like I'm feeling as I'm writing it, which is that like, I am stuck in this moment. And we're in it until we're not. Mm -hmm. Well, dang. Oh, well, yeah. The desired effect definitely comes through. I, I remember, God, I, I think I still have it somewhere, you know, all the electronic files. I wrote a story that I was really proud of. I think I think it's got, you know, still has potential. It's probably been yeah. 20, 20 years since I wrote it or something. I was like, I think it's still got potential. There you go. Yeah. You know, probably, I don't know, 700 words. Um, just for the storyline. I think the storyline is really interesting, but... I remember, and it's like, oh man, it hurt. I got, I got the uh, rejection letter back. One of the few that I got back that had some, you know, some, some feedback. Right. And it, it was some to the effect of, and I love, I'm sure that thing's been long thrown away. I'd love to see that letter again, but it was some to the effect of like, you know, a lot of professors, a lot of teachers will say you don't use dialogue to start off a story, and this is Exhibit A of why not. <laughs> oh wow, that's harsh. <laughs> I, I do agree with that sentiment. <laughs> Yeah. Um, not about your story because I haven't read it. And I do think there are stories that do work with dialogue mm -hmm. in the opening. But my argument is that like you haven't given us a context for where the people are speaking. And we're so used to movies. A lot of movies start with dialogue because we've yeah. got all the stuff in the background that our brain sure. is picking up on sure. that we're not giving the reader. And so therefore you're kind of in a void uh, when you do that on the page. Yeah. Um, or we just don't know enough about where the point of view is coming. And the point of view usually comes so much later after the dialogue. Okay. That, like, I want to know whose perspective is things being filtered through. So again, it's not like a bad thing by any means. A lot of genre novels mm -hmm. start with dialogue. And I'm always like, okay, but like, where are we? <laughs> yeah, like, I yeah, think yeah. That they think like you read the back of the book. So you mm -hmm. know kind of where we're starting and they're taking that for granted mm -hmm. and i feel like we deserve like our reader deserves to be grounded in the actual time and place right, at right. least a little bit unless you know that that's that's the whole point of the story is that you're not going to be grounded um mm. and some mysteries obviously mm. are like that so yeah um dang it you make a you make a darn good point dang it so i'm gonna have to stop <laughs> i'm gonna have to stop throwing darts on my little poster of that that critic yeah well, and there's usually yeah. some sentence in there that's just after the dialogue that you could move to the front yeah and then go with the dialogue right and we're so much more grounded and, and therefore i think again you don't want anything to kick the reader out of the story but i will say that you being upset about that a lot of writers are like that i get a lot of stories in the submission queue that start with dialogue and, and they obviously don't probably know that that's like a pet peeve for yeah, me yeah. necessarily, <laughs> but you're not the only one. Like there's lots and lots right. of people that right. have done it. And I would always just suggest like, what's that next line or two? What if we started there? Or mm -hmm. now that you've written your story and you know it so much better, why don't you give me that first line that kind of gives me a setup of, of the grounding and of the point of view and the character and then the dialogue. Yes. And I think it'll, I think it'll work. 
Um, no, that makes a lot of sense. That I, I like I said, I don't, I don't think I have a copy yet. I'm, I'm searching. I'll probably search after we're done here. But, but definitely, it was a lot of dialogue too. It wasn't like one key line and then into the action. It was, right. it was a lot. So that makes a lot of sense. And I'm, I'm, I'm overdoing. It. I'm not upset about. It. I'm, I've moved on. That's good. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> Yeah, there's lots of stories still to be written or a lot there of you stories go. you've already written, right? That, uh, yes. That help us move on from... Trust me, I've got a lot of uh, dustbin things that didn't uh, quite get past, you know, the first hundred words or anything. A great, powerful opening line is from Past Lives, quote, our four-year-old tells stories, usually unprompted, about his old house, this former life he had before he was with us. Dang. You know, what is yeah, this former a, life? You know, I'm thinking, is this yeah. is this a literal former life? Is this an adoption? Is this, we, we are talking past lives, reincarnation. Um, I'd love it. it. You know, it might be a good time. I don't know if you, if you would like to read that, Past Lives. I would love to. But yeah, and I'd love to is, read that. This is one of at least three of the stories that I'll, I'll make sure that the readers have as part of the notes. Okay, great. And I, I should say something about this story is actually um, a lot of my stories have like ribbons of like real life. And my son, um, he really did this <laughs> in a lot oh, of ways. Oh, yeah. Uh, he would, uh, yeah, he would talk about his past life and this barn that he used to, <laughs> to live with his old mom and his old dad. And like, it really oh, freaks my wife out. Me too, really. Yeah, reasonably so. Oh, um this idea of like well did he like like and he it was not a joke you know what i mean like it was just like mm. part of his consciousness in some way some way somehow and i'm not really sure and i don't necessarily believe necessarily that we lead all these other lives but mm. uh you know it hit me enough to try to write the story so okay past lives this is published by atlas and alice our four-year-old tells stories usually unprompted, about his old house, this former life he had before he was with us. He lived on a farm on a country road with John Deere tractors. The deer with the sprig of whitetails gathered at the edge of the woods, and he would watch them with his old parents, the ones before. My wife and I huddle in our bed, elbows and knees connected like the intertwined roots of trees, a mass of skin and bones. We investigate the corners of our room, flinching as the house settles into its midnight dreams. These stories can't be real, right? She asked. I'm tempted to contact a forensic artist. The detail is so creepy, I say. Mm. Did you, she asked, curling her head into my shoulder, have any previous life? You think he got it from me? I can't even remember yesterday. I flick off the light and we lay there in silence, listening to the house contracting around us waiting for the dreams about farms to take us under for the night. When I'm alone with my son, scaling the play structure at the park by the lake, seagulls combing the beach for dropped Cheetos, I ask him about this previous life. I'd like to know if these other parents, this ghost father, is a better parent than me. Did he buy you ice cream? Did he take you to the park? Did he dry you off with the soft towels after a bath? The answers come like heartbeats. No, no, no. The question I want to ask, but can't, a wave lapping in and onto the sand, leaving bits of seaweed, fish scales, and filaments of oil from jet skis and motorboats. Did they love you more? Dang, it got cold in this room all of a sudden. Right? Yeah. Man. It's like my only like real Dude. ghost story I've ever written, but Dude. 
it comes from all the fears of, you know, being a parent in general anyway. Um, and, and just wondering, like, are you good enough? Are you doing good enough? And then we have this added yeah. layer of him talking about these, <laughs> these old parents. Yes. Oh, man, the soft towels, not just the towels, the soft towels. Yeah. Right. The, the details, they, they matter, right? They mm-hmm. reveal and make characters, you know, unique and specific. And I think that's one of the harder things it is to do in Flash. It's like there's this theory that all stories have been told, right, in some ways. I don't mm-hmm. know if I believe that necessarily, but mm-hmm. I do believe that not all characters have been created or revealed on the page of a story yet. And so I think that that is our in as writers. Like, even if you mm-hmm. think all stories have been written, the characters have not. And that's your job yes. as a writer to bring these new and fresh and unique people to us. And it's really the small details that build characters that are unique and specific, but also universal. Right. 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 Yeah. The, uh, I mean, the, the ending would have been powerful enough if, if the father did ask that question, do they love you more? That still brings those shivers, those chills at will. And then, but it's the one that you, that he doesn't want to ask that he wants to ask, but can't. Yeah. Right again, that that unsaid that, and it's, it's just not. Yeah, he's not, there's a chance for a shift and change there, but he just can't. Hmm. He just can't get there yet. Yeah, right. He's in limbo. The the collection of I think eight or nine stories is special, like the people on TV. Yeah, that's my first uh, chat right. book. I also have another chat book called Covenant uh, by ELJ Editions, and then I have a full Flash collection called Hollows from Alternating Current Press uh-huh. that just came out here in March. You know, some of the reviews of, of one of the first one talks about that, um, you know, childlessness is a was a through line kind of in the in the collection. Yeah. And, you know, that that reminds me of like the, you know, what's left unsaid. We've talked a lot about that. I mean, that reminds me again of Hemingway and like the famous uh, what hills like white elephants, mm-hmm. you know, which so much of that story is what's not being said. It's all the iceberg theory that he yeah he mm-hmm. kind of proposed or whatever. And it's all kind of under there and they don't really say it. Right. Um, it really is an amazing, yeah, an amazing story um, that does so well with dialogue um, and has this kind of objective camera that he's famous for, except for this, you know, couple moments that that's sure. a little subjective, but that's right. his power. Um, exactly. Yeah, it's a great story. Um, yeah. So I think like a lot of people, you know, like a lot of writers, I write about other things that I was afraid of. And I think as, as a young married person, um trying to, to conceive and that was worth the, the things like I really wanted kids my wife really wanted kids and mm-hmm. um there was a little bit of a struggle but nothing that a lot of people had went through by any means but it did portray itself on the the page right. um in a lot of ways um and I don't know that I write about that as much I have a daughter and a son now um mm-hmm. and so I don't think I write about that as much as I do writing about like fatherhood and um you know, taking care of kids or, or from the kid's point of view and looking at fathers and those kind of things. Uh, so I do think we more, you know, stuff that we write about more some, but there is always those like, for whatever reason, with these basic fears that we grow up with and everyone is kind of unique in that. And as a writer, I, I, I think it's, that's just what's come out for me. You know, like John Irving writes about all the same kind of things, just in different kind of stories. I, I don't mm. know that I'm that direct in, in the things <laughs> that I'm, writing about but a lot of times that's yeah you'll see stuff keep cropping back up because we're all just struggling to name this thing that's unnameable hmm. can you like trace like your some like a lot of your life or some of your life through from the 2014 chapbook to hollows like the the review online talks about 
in hollows. You reveal the crawl spaces and attics of American families, the places we dread and the places we yearn for fathers and sons, you know, a lot of more about, yeah. about like I said, about fatherhood. And yeah. therefore, you know, do you, can you trace like, I guess even like, I mean, do you feel like you're objectively a better writer or just a different writer? I hope so. No, I hope, so. <laughs> I hope that. It, yeah. Um, I think that there's still some merit in that first chat book and in some of those stories. Uh, in fact, some of those, I think a couple of them even made it into hollows just because I really love them. Uh, okay, yeah. Um, I think Baby Alone made it into both. Um, just because, and I wrote that one early as far as the, the like 2011 maybe or mm-hmm. something. So I do think in a lot of ways, hopefully I'm getting better, um, at revealing character, at forming plot, at staying in the perspective of the characters and those kind of things. I, and my sentences are better and smoother and all those kind of things. Um, but, you know, each story is different, right? It brings its own challenges each time you start with that opening line or that opening image um, to see if it's going to take you to the place that you're hoping it takes you to. Hmm. Uh, and then I think in the first chat book, I was relying on uh, something I would call like a cut ending, which is just that I would leave you right after the climax and hope that that you knew enough about the characters in the situation to kind of uh, extrapolate into the white space as a sure. reader of like, oh, here, where they're going. And I think hopefully... In the stories that I'm, I, I still do that occasionally because I do think it's a cool effect, and I do think it's one of the powers of Flash to mm-hmm. kind of just leave a, a a reader hanging, hopefully not in a, a punchline or jokey way, right? Um, but in a way that like makes them think afterwards. And I still hope that I'm doing that for sure. But I do think I'm giving my characters a little bit more room to breathe and act uh, and to contemplate why they're doing the things that they're doing, just because like. Um, you know, I, my childhood, my dad was, uh, is, was an alcoholic. Um, and so in a lot of ways, like my father, son stories is all about trying to like untangle that in some ways mm-hmm. and not necessarily in a therapeutic way, but just trying to look at it from as many angles as possible. One of the reasons I love writing is I get to live a million lives yes. and I get to pull on whatever life I want to live. Just a lot of them do happen to deal with fathers and sons and, and that kind of circle of things. And then as I became my own, you know, a, a father, uh, and how I wanted to do that and how things are different and those kind of things. And, and, and just puzzling out like, is it better? Is it not better? Um, so mm-hmm. I do think that there is a progression, mm-hmm. hopefully not only in just the writing, hopefully I'm getting, like, I just already said it, but like getting closer to naming the unnameable. Right. Um, I hope I'm getting better at that and not leaving the, the reader so adrift. But, but then there are times that I'm like really challenging myself to like, not, add context in some ways and mm. really let the reader kind of live and dig around and mm. things. And I think you do hopefully have to find your readers that want to go along with you to do that. Um, where you're like, well, he's not going to give us all the answers and he's not, he's really just going to pose a lot of questions and I may get to the end and still, and not feel like I quite got to the end. And is that okay? Um, mm. so I've been playing around with some of that as well, but also trying to, you know, give stories, really solid endings as well. I, I, like I said, we talked about me having trouble with patience, and I think a lot of writers have trouble with patience in the sense that like, they want to get it written, they want to get it out to readers. Like I feel better when I know someone's reading something that I've written. Yeah. Uh, I'm a really introverted person in a lot of ways, but for whatever reason, I want this connection between me and the, and the reader. Uh, and I want, it's the same connection that I want with other writers. Like I'll yeah. read something and I'm like, oh my gosh, I'll just think the person's amazing just because the story was amazing in a lot of ways. <laughs> And so I'm always, I think, uh, striving towards that in some way. We talk about a connection. One of the many five-star reviews online says, 
quote, reading hollows, I felt like I was on an unsettling tour of young Midwesterners who have been left behind. In many cases, left behind by untimely death, cracked open with grief and left to find a way through. Rather than being morbid or violent for shock value, the writer provides a shimmering window into lives. I felt connected rather than put off. This is just my kind of thing, and I loved it. Wow, that's a really nice review. Uh, in a lot of ways, that's exactly what I'm trying to do. I'm pushing to the edge. Uh, my new um, work in progress flash collection, I think I've got uh, about 75 pages of it so far, and mm -hmm. I probably need 130, 140, 150, is dealing with those moments of like right before violence or maybe right after violence. And like, how do we deal with those kind of things? I haven't really experienced all that myself, but I'm really intrigued by it and intrigued by what people would do before or after kind of those things. And like, how do you pick yourself back up? How do you put your life back together? Uh, how do you change your shift from a thing or, or a moment that you didn't want or ask for in a lot of ways? And I think Hollows deals with that in some ways too, is like when we get into these situations that we didn't necessarily ask for, are we going to come out better or different and is different better or is it worse? Uh, and so that's a really nice review because that's exactly what I'm hoping to do. Like I don't, I'm not here to shock people or make people feel bad, but I do think a lot of us are intrigued by the little violences that we commit against each other and families. Like not even like, I'm not even talking about like, you know, actual weapons or anything, but just with our actions, with our words um, and all those kind of things can can add up into little little traumas um, and how do how do characters deal with them and how do they move on or how does it affect their, their lives later and and so for that reader like I'm just so honored that like we connected right like that's what I was trying to do and I don't even know that I could have put that into words but they mm. they, they put it into words for me they did definitely connected and many did with with baby alone which you said has kind of lasted over the years made into the most recent I love maybe to to end by uh, if you could if you wouldn't mind reading Baby Alone part of it or all of it whatever works for you. Yeah, I think I, yeah I got it pulled up here. So this was published by the Watershed Review quite a while ago. Uh, this story um, started kind of just by like I was in a parking lot, sitting in a car, looking across, and just wondering like, what if I had to get out of my car and do something or affect something mm -hmm. or help mm -hmm. someone. Um, and so here we go. I should mention, too, that it is uh, in first person point of view, but it is from a, a female uh, point right. of view, which I tend to write in a lot as well, mm. just to kind of distance from myself, I think, in some way. So here we go. Baby alone. There was a baby alone in a car across the parking lot aisle. I can't quite make out its face or its gender. I concentrate on the flash of red fabric, which I assume is its arm, claw, clothes, cloth, in a shimmering coat. It's much too cold for a baby to be alone in a car. I tell this to myself as though there are a set of perfect conditions where a mother or father might be allowed to leave their child. An infant almost from the look of its tiny fingers in a parked car in the parking lot of one of the largest shopping centers in town. My own car is running. The slight mumble of my husband's talk radio station turned down low, competing with the shutter of the engine. We're here for a pregnancy test an argument he won because like I told him I'm familiar enough with my own body to know if I was pregnant or not he kept pointing to the logic a counting of days since my last period as if that was enough to convince me and my uterus not to bleed right or wrong I agreed to go with him to the store but told him that was as far as I would go the rest was up to him it was your time dime I told or your dime I told him he gave me a look 
He hated when I fell into the pulpy sayings of my father. When you've been married seven years, sometimes that's all you need to communicate. Leave the keys, I said, as he unbuckled too quickly, the metal striking the window. The sound stilled the air. Can I get you anything else? Yeah. I was tempted to ask for a bottle of wine. We needed after the failed test, but I didn't want to push the issue. He hated when I was right as much as I hate it when it snowed. It looked like we would both end up losers tonight. When I didn't answer, he leaned in and kissed me on the cheek, a cute gesture, like we were still dating, and I couldn't help but smile. He opened the door and the cab filled with the smell of fried food. The color, the cold air made the outdated air freshener hanging from the rearview mirror dance. I watched him walk away as soon as I thought he was out of earshot. I started the car and prayed. We had enough gas to keep it running. I was too afraid to look at the gas gauge. There were a lot of things I was afraid to look at these days. I sat in the heat watching people brace themselves against the cold. I spent several minutes watching a woman in a thin jacket with a short dress, legs covered in tights, walk backwards. She got me thinking about my husband again. I wondered if that's how he saw me, a frail and huddled bird. The woman shrank between two SUVs, the largest one's lights flashing as she unlocked the vehicle. That's when I saw the tiny movements from the car across the aisle. At first, I wasn't sure I'd seen anything, especially with the way the sun was setting over the ridge of the supermarket roof and the way the shadows were starting to roll in like fog. But there it was again, like a flutter of a hummingbird's wing. I turned down the heat and the radio as if I could hear the movement from the car. A car rattling down the lane passed between us, blocking my vision. I craned my neck to the left and then to the right, my cheek resting against the window. As far as I could tell, there was no one else in the car, certainly no adults in the front seats and no other children in the back. Minutes passed in that state of anxiety where you know you need to make a choice. I played with the heater, turning it up and down, trying to focus all my thoughts on the rush of the air from the vents. I punched at the radio buttons until my neck began to itch. There was that feeling you get when you wish you could just walk away into another life. The lives you're allowed other people to lead for you. When I get to the car, I expect to see the baby crying, but it quietly looks at me and I wonder what it's trying to tell me. The baby is a boy with a shock of light brown hair spilling out of a quainting toboggan hat. He looks away from me and I tap on the glass. He smiles, foils his arm, and gurgles something at me in baby speak. The wind is at my back, roiling over the back of my legs, chilling the back of my knees. I try the handle, wondering why it's taking me so long to do it in the first place. The handle clicks, but the door doesn't open. Small miracles, I whisper toward the glass, and it falls. The baby wags its head, trying to look around the condensation as if something, as if I'm something worth seeing. People drift by, pushing their rattling shopping carts, the wind picking up, their voices, and the rippling of the plastic shopping bags. Where's your mother, I say to the window. I wonder where my husband is and worry that he'll return to the running car and I'll be gone. Another mystery played out in the shopping center parking lot. Then it hits me, as sure as I am that I'm not pregnant. I know that I locked the keys in the car. I turn to look at the idling a soft spool of exhaust drifting over the trunk and into the darkening night. My husband isn't at the car and he's not jogging down the aisle either. He always runs when it's cold outside, though I point out to him that this only makes it colder. He always chooses a shorter yet more intense experience over a longer, mellow encounter with the troubles of this life. I wonder too, is this how he sees our marriage? An element to endure by sprinting through the milestones until there isn't anything left? I don't flag down any other shoppers. I'm not sure what I could say to them, and I'd rather not get anyone else involved. So I wait in the cold, my toes going numb, knowing that one of two things will happen. Either my husband will return carrying a single plastic bag with a smiley face winking on the front, or the baby's mother will creep cautiously up to the car. Both promise a confrontation, and I don't know if I can handle either one. 
It's bad enough leaving a dog alone in a car in this weather, but a baby is just too much. It's the kind of story you see on the news. The thought of cameras being interviewed on live TV makes me hope that my husband will, will return first. He'll be angry I left the car. He, he's always worried about my safety, as though the minute I leave the apartment, someone will attack me. Tonight, he'll cite the temperature, tell me he is worried I'll catch a cold or pneumonia. He's big on pneumonia for some reason. The entire time, he'll be looking at my stomach, but won't mention the word baby. I guess we've both grown superstitious over the last year. Will we, won't we, is not a popular game in our home. Maybe I want to tell him it's not happening because our bodies don't think we're ready. He'd call that psychological bullshit. I'd call it an excuse I'd made up to make myself feel better. I'm not sure why he won't let me lie to myself. That, I want to tell him, makes me human. That confrontation that you have coming up is is so good, so interesting. You know, you said there's going to be a confrontation with either of two people. And, you know, there's no there are no despicable characters in that story, even the even the last character introduced. Yeah. Right. I mean, there's there's empathy or at least sympathy of, you know, for everyone involved. There's so much that goes on and just, you know, whatever the distance is between those two cars. Masterly, masterfully done. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah. Even re- even reading it today, I'm like, ooh, this is not quite Flash. It's definitely uh, a little longer than Flash. it is. It is. And, and I would probably revise a bit just to move things a little quicker. Uh, but I still do appreciate your comments i do think it is a story that for me as my own writer does hold up for what i'm hoping to do oh yeah oh yeah thanks so much for sharing that that's um like i said the you know there's like you said there's so much there's universal in there but also so much that's specific to that story to that parking lot to that couple um and and thanks again thanks so much for just enlightening us on on flash versus versus short shorts and, and really just sharing what, what goes into your mind. And um, I'm just so impressed at, at how much encyclopedia knowledge, if that's the word encyclopedic knowledge you have of, of the form and just uh, how well you do it. So thanks so much. Oh, well, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Yeah. It's, it's my passion. It's the thing I love for whatever reason, like this is the writing I love. We all geek out for something and this yes. is what I geek out for. Yes, and I love that you're, you're a hoops fan. You have that basketball and, yeah. <laughs> and, and baseball history as well, and you know just look forward to to what's coming up. So thank you so much. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure today to speak to Tommy Dean. Continue good luck to him with his writing. So looking forward to continue to follow his career and his important work. Thanks for listening to this episode 152 with Tommy Dean. You can now subscribe to the podcast on Apple and leave a five star review. You can also ask for it by name using Alexa. Find it on Stitcher, Spotify, and on Amazon Music. Follow me on Instagram where I'm at Chills at Will Podcast or on Twitter where I'm at Chills at Will PO1. You can watch this and other episodes on YouTube. Please subscribe to both the YouTube channel and the podcast while you're checking out this episode. Please, Tommy, I'm, I'm always bad at this. Please share any social media info, you know, where you where to buy the books if there's any spe- sure. special place. Yeah. Yeah, so, well, Twitter still exists. Yeah. <laughs> people listen to this. I'm at Tommy Dean Writer on Twitter. I spend a lot of time there. I love to connect with writers and readers and nice. people that are submitting to the journal and people that love Flash. Uh, I also have a website, which is TommyDeanWriter.com. So those are probably the two best places to find me. Um, okay. Hollows can be purchased on Amazon, if that's your thing. They'll ship it mm. to you fast. Uh, or at Alternating Current Press. Uh, is where you can find that. And then again, I do have that other chapbook covenants, which is at ELJ editions, which you can find on their website as well. Awesome. Thank you for that. I'll definitely, we'll share that all that info on with the episode notes. 
Sign up now for the Chills at Will podcast Patreon. It can be found at patreon.com backslash Chills at Will podcast Peter Real. And my last name is R-I-E-H-L. Check out the page that describes the benefits of a Patreon membership, including cool swag and bonus episodes. Thanks in advance for supporting my one-man show, my DIY podcast, and my extensive reading, research, editing, and promoting to keep this independent podcast pumping out high-quality content. The intro song for the Chills of Well podcast is Wind Down, and the other song played on the episode was Hoops, instrumental by Matt Whitehour. Both songs are used through archesaudio.com. Please tune in for episode 153 with Louisette Resto, a mother, teacher, poet, and Wonder Woman fanatic born in Aguas Buenas, Puerto Rico, and proudly raised in the Bronx. A Canto Mundo and Macondo Fellow and Pushcart Prize nominee, she is on the board of directors for Women Who Submit. And that episode will air on November 22nd. For now, thanks again for listening. I hope that these quarantine days bring you texts by writers with mad skills like Tommy Dean whose work, like Special Like the People on TV and Hollows, gives you chills at will. Thank you.